Good morning, and uh, we are so happy to be here. My name is Brandon, and I am married to my beautiful wife, Kara. We've been married for a little over 11 years, and we have two incredible kids. Uh, Our daughter, Addie, is eight, and she is going on 18, and uh, love life with our daughter and our son, Bauer, is six years old, and uh, we always get the question with our son, Bauer, oh, is that a family name? No, no, it's not. It's, it's actually, we named him after Jack Bauer from the hit TV show 24. So uh, very biblical there. Uh, but we live in Southern California where I'm a pastor, and we are absolutely having a blast out in Southern California, except when there's earthquakes, which we've had a couple over the last couple of weeks. Uh, honestly, with earthquakes, um, I, I, I don't really know what to do. I grew up in Tennessee, uh, where we had tornadoes, and so I know what to do, and I can prepare for those. I lived in Virginia. We had hurricanes. You can prepare for a hurricane. But when it comes to an earthquake, there's really nothing, like there's, there's no, hey, heads up, there's going to be an earthquake. In fact, I haven't prepared myself for an earthquake since kindergarten, and so it's been a while, uh, so I don't even remember or even know exactly what to do. In fact, the extent, before we moved to, to California uh, almost five years ago, the extent of my knowledge about the state of California was wrapped up in the music of the great philosophers, the Beach Boys. That's all I knew, really, about the state of California, and all they sing about is surfing. And so I knew when we moved from Tennessee to California, I knew one of the things that we had to do was we had to learn how to go surfing. And so I had a buddy who uh, has surfed waves all around the world, and he said, hey, listen, Brandon, I'll take you out. We'll learn how to surf. We'll get this figured out. And so that's what we did. Uh, As soon as we got into California, like the first week or two, we headed out to the beach, and we started to learn surfing. I got a five-minute instructional lesson on surfing. Uh, I got the uh, the question, Brandon, you can swim, right? And of course, yeah, great. So we, we took the instruction and headed out into the waves. I paddle out, go out there, finally get past where the waves are taken off, and start watching people go from the lineup. And I'm watching and watching, and, and as a guy, naturally, I mean, we're kind of born with this, we just think we can do everything. And so I'm, I'm sitting there out on the waves, fresh from Tennessee, thinking, man, I got this. I can, I can do this. And so I, take, uh, I start taking some notes. I start thinking. I start reminding myself of the five-minute instruction that I got. And then I decide it's my time. So I get into the lineup. I, I catch the first wave on the set. And man, it is, it is incredible. The ride felt like it was going for minutes. And, and this was photo worthy, right? I'm already thinking in my mind how I'm going to position my new Facebook and Instagram profile. This is going to be me surfing and I'm going to look incredible. Even better, I know, it's hard to believe, even better than I look now. So I'm riding this wave and in what seems like minutes or just seconds and I remember, oh wait a minute, I'm not supposed to stand like this on the surfboard. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to kind of get into it. And so I move my feet around And I start to get in position. And as soon as I move my feet, this wave that I'm riding crashes on my board, flipping me over the front of it, throwing me into the ocean. And really, I experienced what I can only describe as the entire wrath of the Pacific Ocean came crashing down on me. The wave just pummeled me into the water And it not only pummeled me, but it threw my surfboard in this torpedic manner right into the side of my head. 
I couldn't see anything. I couldn't really feel much. But at that moment, I knew, hey, I'm about 20 or 30 feet down in the ocean. And as I was down there, I felt the tide kind of start to pull me. The undercurrent started, started to pull me back even further under. Uh, thankfully, I was still attached to this flotation device that uh, we as in America know as a surfboard. And so it propelled me back to the surface. And so as soon as I get to the surface, I just immediately gasp for air. Because it was in that moment that I thought, okay, this is how it ends. So, so I gasp for air. I open my eyes and turn around when I am met by the second left-hand strike of the Pacific Ocean. Again, hits me with that big punch. Knocks me down again, pulls me under again, and I'm back up gasping for air. This didn't happen twice because I caught the first wave in the set. It happened a third time. It happened a fourth time and another fifth time. And honestly, I thought, this is how I'm going to die. I mean, I, I always thought I would die in paradise, but I thought God understood that meant the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I finally catch my breath. I finally get up, and this was the moment where I thought it was all over. And maybe, maybe you've had life and death moments like that. It may not be surfing because uh, the waves in, in New Albany here are just not as, as powerful as they are in California, but maybe you've had those life and death moments where you get on the interstate and there's, there's crazy drivers all around, right? That's a whole nother sermon, but there's crazy drivers on the interstate and someone cuts you off, and, and in that moment you think, well, well, we're in an accident, and here we go. This is it. Or, or when I was a child, I was riding a cow, which is oddly, ironically, very different than riding a wave in Southern California. But I was riding a cow, and the cow wasn't thrilled that I was riding on the cow, trying to get it to move from one pasture to the next in Tennessee. And so the cow jumped. It bucked me off. And it wasn't a rodeo bull or anything. It was just a regular dairy cow. Bucked me off moved me, and as soon as the cow came down, I landed on my back, and I saw his hoof come right down next to my face. I've had a few of these moments, and maybe there's been moments like this in your life where your life hangs in the balance, but, but maybe for you, you're not flirting with life and death. Maybe for you, you've had moments where life itself has just come crashing down on you like a wave in Southern California. Maybe for some of you, it's come when you got that diagnosis that it's cancer. Diagnosis that you never expected. Maybe for others of you, uh, life became difficult when you lost a loved one. And whether it was an unexpected or an expected death, there's never easy, there's never an easy moment to say goodbye to those that you love. Maybe for some of you, uh, life came crashing down for you when you lost your job and you struggled to find work and you're struggling still to find work. Maybe you've had a loved one walk out on you. They just left. They abandoned you. Maybe for some of you, you've been hurt or taken advantage of you. Maybe you're here this morning and your pain isn't loss, but for some of you, it's just a dream that hasn't become a reality for you. And that dream is in such sharp focus in your mind and in your heart that you're not sure that you'll ever feel complete without that dream becoming a reality. And so you're stuck. You're stuck in this season of waiting and, and wondering. Waiting, if, waiting and wondering if that relationship that you so desperately desire, waiting for that relationship to come. When you see all of your friends, all of your loved ones, your family, 
getting married, finding the love of their life. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's not a relationship. Maybe for some of you, you're married, you're in a relationship, but you struggle with infertility. And the dream of starting a family on your own has just not become a reality. And so you're waiting. Maybe for others, it's financial stability. You've been waiting for years, maybe decades, for financial stability so that you can have a place to call your own, so that you can finally be in a spot financially that, that would be comfortable. And so you wait. For others, maybe, maybe it's as simple as just being respected in your field or, or having some emotionally healthy friends. And there have probably been times in your life where the circumstances of your life are simply not what you were expecting, not what you were hoping for, wishing for. And life at times can be overwhelming because of the difficulty, because of the disappointment, but because of the discouragement and the defeat that we sometimes feel. And there are times in our life where this pain is, is really just a natural result, a natural consequence of the poor choices we've made. But on the flip side, there are also times in our life when we experience a trial, when there's a real genuine pain in your life, at your job, in your family, with your friends, where it has nothing to do with choices that you've made, and so you're left not understanding why. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why is it that I can't seem to find or feel God in these difficult tough, painful seasons of life. There are going to be times when difficulty comes and you just don't understand. Maybe you've even asked the question or heard someone else ask the question, why is it that bad things happen? But maybe you're to the point where you wonder in your waiting, how is it that, that I can maintain faith in God, in this God who writes poetic promises in Scripture but yet leaves the threads of our own stories and our own lives and our own culture frayed and ragged at the edge. Truth is, at some point in our life, there are times where we've all been hit by the waves of worry or confusion or anxiety or fear or failure, destruction maybe even. Maybe even there are times where the waves of doubt come. We've all waited in life, wishing, hoping that it would be our turn, hoping that our name would be called. And that's exactly where we find Habakkuk. This is the, the moment, the season in life that we find Habakkuk in. Habakkuk was a prophet in Judah, in the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah was a nation that at the time that Habakkuk was writing and having this conversation with God, they were in a troubled, difficult time. For years, the nation of Judah, after they lost their fearless leader of integrity, King Josiah, there were years where they were running from the things and the life that God had designed. And they were running in toward trouble. And so Habakkuk decided, I'm going to have a conversation with God, which is incredible news for you and I today, that we, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of the moments that we don't understand when life is spiraling out of control, the amazing news for us is that 
we can have a conversation with God. We can bring our concerns to God. He's not some distant, far off deity who's absent in the difficulties and pain of our life. No, we can have a conversation with God and that is good news. And that's exactly what Habakkuk did. He decided to have a conversation with God. Now make no mistake, Habakkuk was a guy who loved God deeply. But Habakkuk was not happy with God because things in his culture, among his people, were not right. And so Habakkuk decided to take his complaint to God. God, are you just going to sit around and do nothing while everything else is falling apart in our culture? This is what Habakkuk asked. God, are you just going to sit idly and watch as everything wrong in this world happens? And last week we saw with Pastor Larry that God replied, God responded to Habakkuk. He said, no, man, I'm I'm not idle at all. In fact, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you will not believe. And it's in this moment that Habakkuk probably started rehearsing how he's going to tell his friends, hey, guys, listen, I just talked to God. I went to God on your behalf, and I said, things are wrong. This is not right. God, you need to do something about it. And I spoke on behalf of our people. And he said, I'm going to do something great. But, But Habakkuk probably couldn't even finish his sentence before God said, Oh, oh, wait, wait, Habakkuk, I'm I'm actually sending the Babylonians. Now, I I realize that talking about the Babylonians in 2019 in New Albany, Indiana, or even in Southern California would not arise our memory to the history lessons about Babylon. But Babylon was notorious through all of the nations. They had a reputation, and it was not the best reputation. In fact, the Babylonians in that day were the biblical demagorgon, right? They were the mind flayers of the world. No? No no stranger things? Come on, you guys have had two weeks to watch this. Season three dropped two weeks ago. No? Okay, so anyway, they were notorious for terrorizing the earth. Babylonians were ruthless and rough. They were aggressive and brutal, so much so that historians say that the damage the Babylonians would inflict on a nation was comparable to that of a nuclear bomb, with one exception. Babylonians didn't have any bombs, so they used their hands. They took out livestock. They would torture and murder every living person. The Babylonians would set buildings on fire. They would rip up crops. They would plant thistles. Then they would spread poison all throughout the soil so nothing else could grow. They would leave no structures standing. No creatures living. In fact, when they came and they terrorized, they would leave no trace that life ever existed in that area. And then when they were done, they would party. And so God shows up to Habakkuk and says, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm going to actually send the Babylonians. Habakkuk decides, okay, man, it's it's time for me to change my approach because That first question did not work. And so Habakkuk proceeds where we pick up today. So if you brought your Bibles with you, you can turn over to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. When we pick up the conversation, uh, this is where Habakkuk starts to use the flattery with, with God. He starts to kind of butter his biscuits, and he says this, 
O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us and to punish us for our many sins. And Habakkuk goes on and on, and he says, okay, okay, hang on, God, yeah. The Babylonians, yeah, about that. Um, I don't like that this is your plan, and, and they're really, the Babylonians are bad, as you know, and God, you are good, and you're holy, and you're good, you're my rock, and, and you probably wouldn't want anything bad to happen to your people, and so surely you have a different plan. How is this even possible? And then Habakkuk moves from trying to flatter God with his words to a little bit of swagger in his step. Habakkuk 2 verse 1 says, this is what Habakkuk says, Okay, God, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he'll answer my complaint. Uh, Habakkuk says, okay, okay, God, I'm just going to stand up here. And if that's how you're going to play, if that's how you're going to do things, I'm just going to sit up here and wait. I'm just going to wait because I don't like that. And I don't think that's the right way to approach what I'm thinking you ought to do. Now, as Americans, really as, as a culture worldwide, we don't really know how to wait well. In fact, we're really bad at it because we're not patient. We want things now. We don't want to wait in line. We don't want to wait on anything. In fact, I was flying out of Los Angeles. I was at the airport, and the gate agent bless her heart, just walks up to the gate just to introduce things. Like, hey, let's get on the same page, make sure you're at the right gate. She gets on and says, welcome, this is uh, Oceanic Flight 815 with uh, service to Louisville, Kentucky. And immediately, people start getting up and standing in line. It's like an hour before the flight takes off, and we're not flying southwest, right? We're not trying to hurt everybody in there, and you get in front of me, and, and I'll get in front of her, and it's not even that. In fact, the airplane wasn't even at the gate yet. People just, they just can't wait. They, they want to get in there, get their seat, get their oversized luggage in that small compartment because we can't wait. We struggle with waiting. It's not just flights. Uh, we struggle to wait for news or any information that we see as valuable. We, we struggle to wait on. That's why we've got notifications on our phones, right? so that we don't have to wait. We are immediately, instantly, right now, here and now, in the know. Because we struggle to wait. Some people struggle to wait. I, I know nobody at Graceland would do this. Some people struggle so much to wait on those notifications that they check them while they're driving. Again, I, I know you probably wouldn't do that. Some people check their notifications when they're at the red light, and then it turns green, and they don't move because they're checking their notifications until I lay on my horn and then when they finally do move, they make it through the green light, but then it turns red on me because they couldn't wait. Some of you who are laughing are like, mm, I just did that on the way to church this morning because we struggle to wait. Uh, let, me, let me give you a prime example, no pun intended. We struggle to wait, so we now have Amazon Prime. Man, I got to have it in I gotta have it in a day. And I can't go to Walmart and pick up my toothpaste when I could order it from Amazon Prime and get here tomorrow. We struggle as a culture to wait, and most of us are not good at waiting in life, let alone 
waiting for what God wants in our life. And we want God to act now. We want God to fulfill our own timetable. We want God to do what we think God should do when we think he should do it. This wasn't a problem just for our day and our culture because we've got Amazon Prime. No, this, is, this was a problem even in Habakkuk's day. The reality is the difficulty in your life, the pain, the loss, the seasons of waiting and wanting and wishing in your own life are no doubt difficult. They are no doubt incredibly hard. Maybe your marriage is a disappointment. Maybe you're here this morning and your loved one has died. You're single, maybe, and desperately lonely. Maybe your child is far from God. And you have a prodigal. Maybe for you, the diagnosis is terminal. Maybe for you, the bank account is empty and the career path has hit a dead end. And in these moments, in these seasons of waiting, you may not understand. But far too often, instead of waiting for what God has, we try to fix things and do things the way that we want. And so we walk away from what God wants back to whatever we think it is that'll satisfy. Marriage is a disappointment. Relationships are hard. So, so instead of waiting on God, we turn back and instead start up an old fling on Facebook with a high school friend that we haven't talked to in years, hoping that maybe that relationship won't be a disappointment like your marriage maybe. Maybe you're married and it's not going back to an old Facebook fling, but Instead, it's internet pornography that you run back to instead of waiting on what God wants. Maybe for some of you, it's not either of those things relationally, but it's something that drives you into isolation, running away from what God wants back toward alcohol, toward the prescription medications, just to soothe that ache in your life when you wait. Maybe for some, it's None of that. You just run back to the old cycle of dysfunction. Maybe it's back to spending and carrying a ridiculous amount of debt. And we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. But whatever it is in your life that you run back to, we spend those moments running away from God. And let me tell you this morning, there are no instant solutions to the challenging realities of life, even for devout followers of Christ. In fact, I have a friend who's 51 years old who's never taken one step in his life because he was born with a rare birth disorder. My friend is 51 and he's been in a wheelchair his entire life. He can't feed himself, take care of himself, change himself. Completely dependent on everyone else because of his birth disorder. And he loves Jesus. He will likely not experience healing. He will likely never walk a day in his life bound by a wheelchair, but he loves Jesus and he's waiting. We have friends who've struggled for almost two decades, 18 years in fact, with infertility. They finally, after 18 years of trying, got pregnant with their baby boy. 
And after carrying a healthy baby boy nine months, the night before they went in for a scheduled C-section, the day before everything was fine, the night before the doctor couldn't find a heartbeat. And they delivered their stillborn son. There are times when the difficulties of our life here on earth may not come to an end. And there are no instant solutions that we can go back to. There are no easy fixes. In fact, Habakkuk talks about the things that the Babylonians did to try to fix things. In this whole second half of chapter 2, Habakkuk hears from God all of the things that the Babylonians tried. They tried wealth. Hey, money will fix things. Or, or if not money, security. If things are safe, if we can protect ourselves. If not that, then fame or superiority or control. And these are all things that we try. But look at what God says. In these moments, when we don't understand, in these moments and seasons, when we wait, in the middle of this, this is what God says. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer. The answer to what? The complaint. What are you doing in the world, God? I don't understand. It seems like you're absent. Write my answer, God says, plainly, on tablets, not on paper, because Habakkuk, this isn't just for your records. This isn't something for you just to jot down in your memory so that you can tell the people exactly what I said. No, write this down, chisel it in stone, so that generation after generation who struggles, who doesn't understand, who doesn't know why difficult seasons come, write it down, chisel it down, so they'll have it and know. Verse three, this vision is for a future time. It describes an end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it surely will take place and it will not be delayed. Verse four, look at the proud. God, God turns Habakkuk's eyes. Look at the proud, look at the Babylonians. Look at what they run back to. Look at what they try. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. And, and God unpacks with Habakkuk in the second half of chapter two, the destruction that comes from those empty pinatas that we swing at. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. They run back to things but God's people, the righteous, will live by faith. This morning, I'm not here to tell you that God is some cosmic spiritual vending machine. When you press the right buttons in your spiritual walk with him, the candy bar that you've ordered will drop out because it's just not true. I'm not here to give you a spiritual saying or some religious rabbit's foot or even some Christian t-shirt because all of those things ring hollow when reality comes in our life. As much as I'd like this morning to paper over the reality that life stinks with these platitudes and, and happy praise choruses, that paper is thin and the suffering is real. And all too often our worlds come crumbling down around us. This morning, God never promises a, to give us a wealthy, prosperous, easy and comfortable journey here on this earth but he does give us his word that we will arrive safely. 
And in those moments, in those seasons, in those difficult, dark, defeating times, what we can have is faith. And right here, with the story of Habakkuk, God calls us out of our own attempts to manage life on our own and struggle through by ourselves. God calls us out of that into a different story. And if you and I are gonna get through the waves of the difficulties and the loss and the hurt and the, the confusion of life, if we're gonna get through that, we have to value the voice of Jesus above everything else. The voice of Jesus has to be the loudest voice in our life. And just because you're waiting doesn't mean God isn't working. Maybe waiting for hours, you may be waiting for days, weeks, months, years, decades, your entire life. But just because you're waiting doesn't mean God's not working. Just because you don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean God is doing nothing. And just because your life doesn't feel under control doesn't mean God isn't in control. God promised to undo what was done wrong. He promised to restore what was lost and he promised to bring us back to him and he did. Jesus came in the flesh. He stepped into human history. He wrote himself into the story and began to set things right. I love the passage in Romans chapter eight that has far too often been weaponized in suffering. This is what Paul says. Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul says God works everything. The Greek word for everything there means everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then Paul goes on, what shall we say about such wonderful news as this, that God works everything for the good? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? whom God has chosen for his own. No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, no. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is revealed in Christ Jesus. Man, that is great news. Not to be weaponized, not for you to use walking into someone who's received devastating news. 
Not for you to, to, to have in the back of your mind for that friend who loses everything. That's weaponizing the word and that is not biblical. When, when we experience someone that we love or someone that we know or someone that we meet who's going through deep pain, the deeper the pain, the fewer the words. Sometimes we just need to show up and shut up. This morning, you and I will not find peace or anything soothing or any freedom in all of those things that we run back to. We will find that through faith in Jesus. It's only in him that we can survive and thrive in these moments. So do you know Jesus? Do you know the peace that Paul talks about? When we lived in Tennessee, we had some friends who uh, were, were on staff for the Nashville Predators, and they would often invite us to the games, and we always said yes because we love sporting events. And so they invited us one night and said, hey, we're going to stay after and hang out around the players' locker rooms and meet some of the players. Would you like to go? <laughs> yes. So we went. We had a great time at the game. The seats were on the ice. We get finished with the game and go hang out outside the players' locker rooms. And then as we're hanging out there, we also realize this is where some of the families of the, the players of the Nashville Predators come. And so we're hanging, and there's probably three or four other people down there. And then we're standing there waiting for players to come out, and this, this lady walks in with a birthday cake, dressed up for her birthday. She's got a sash on over. Uh, she's got a princess birthday crown on, and she walks right past us and says, hey, y'all, come on in. We're about to celebrate my birthday. And so we walk in, and it says on the birthday cake, happy birthday, Carrie. Now, one of the predators is a guy named Mike Fisher, and Nashville Predators star Mike Fisher is married to Carrie Underwood. And so we walk in and have birthday cake. We sing happy birthday. We celebrate with Carrie Underwood on her birthday with like three or four other people. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty great, right? But if you were to get VIP tickets to her next concert, wherever that is, whenever that is, I have no clue, if you, were to, if you were to go up to her after the, the show, after the concert, and say, hey, uh, Brandon and, and his wife Kara said hey, she'd look at you and say, I'm sorry, who? Brandon and Kara, you know, he's a pastor in California. You guys met on your birthday. They celebrated your birthday with you. She'd look at you like you're crazy because here's the thing. We don't really know Carrie Underwood. Sure, we sang happy birthday with her and a few other people and I can tell you some of the hit songs that Carrie Underwood has recorded and released, and I can tell you she was on American Idol. I can give you some stats about Carrie Underwood, but the reality is I don't really know Carrie Underwood. Here's my fear. Many of us know Jesus like I know Carrie Underwood. You can give me some facts. You can answer some Jesus jeopardy. You can pull out the religious rabbit's foot when you need to. But the reality is you don't really know Jesus. And today, if you want to know peace, if you want to know in the deepest, darkest, most difficult days of your life, if you want to know hope, you have to know Jesus. So today I would encourage you, challenge you, plead with you, beg with you, run to Jesus.
is your only hope. Run to Jesus. And if you can't run to Jesus, then crawl. Crawl to Jesus. And if you can't crawl to Jesus, then reach for Jesus. If you can't reach for Jesus, look to Jesus. Because he is the only source of hope that you will find that will not leave you empty. Today, do you know Jesus? Jesus.